The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hello, Sequel Questers. This is a Sequel Quest Rewind. Diving back into the archive to May of 2018, this is episode 75, a sequel to Congo. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. You're going to try and listen to Sequel Quest podcast now that you've heard Mark Maron, eh? We live to pitch fake movie sequels, and we've got a lot of sequels to pitch. My name's Adam, and I'm your great white podcaster for today, though I happen to know Jack. I'm going to have this talking gorilla introduce you to the other explorers joining us on this audio safari. Jeremy, Firehead Man, good podcaster. Say hello, <laughs> Jeremy. Hello? I hope you've seen this movie, but this makes no sense. Go, man, go. And who do we have over here, Amy? Jeff, movie fan. Like, talk too much. Tickle me, Jeff. Tickle me. Ew, no, <laughs> thank you, Amy. Don't worry, listener. You're in better hands than you should be. Hey! That's right. Here we are, taking care of you, bringing the fun... Sequel Quest Podcast, back again. In case you couldn't guess, and maybe you couldn't guess, apparently Jeff, <laughs> not on track with this. But we are talking about Congo. Jeff and I bonded on some level over quoting ridiculous lines from Congo in high school. And wow. that's why we decided to make it the topic of the show tonight, which is our birthday episode. Hey, hey happy birthday, Jeff. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. I, I, I do have to apologize. I, I had no idea that this was this significant for for you. So <laughs> just to clarify, we do share the same birthday and often have celebrated the occasion together over the years. Yeah. Now, last year, I made it all about me choosing to do a Xanadu sequel. <laughs> and so this year, I wanted to choose a film that I thought we would both be excited about. But Jeff, again, apparently I've <laughs> misjudged your commitment to <laughs> well, love to Oh, yeah. Right. I, certainly when you throw the word love in there, that's not involved. This is, well, no, I can't say the worst movie we've done because we've done really, really bad movies. This is a very, very bad movie. It is enjoyable. And you're right. We did watch this movie way more than anyone should have in our high school years. And we memorized most of it, not for the reasons we were supposed to, because we were laughing at the parts we weren't supposed to laugh at. But nonetheless, it's memorable. Yeah, and hopefully people remember it. But I think before we get deep into it, Jeremy, for those that maybe need to be brought back up to speed or never bothered with Congo, why don't you tell us a little bit about who's involved and what it's all about? Oh, boy, I'm needing a refresher and glad we've got this summary. Oh, all I'm remembering are bad monkeys. Congo from 1995, starring Laura Linney, Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, Dylan Walsh, Joe... Oh, boy. He goes by Joey Pants in the industry. Okay. Joe Pantoliano, Delroy Lindo, 
and Jodon Baker, directed by Frank Marshall, when a scientist from a communications company and a devious Romanian philanthropist hitch themselves to an expedition setting out to return a talking gorilla named Amy to the Congo, true motivations are revealed as these unlikely travel companions team up facing off against the killer gorilla centurions guarding the legendary diamond mines of King Solomon with deadly results. Dun, dun, dun. At least that's the way they sold it to us <laughs> in the movie trailers. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, and I do want to point out, and I'll read this one to you because it, it needs to be read. Originally, Michael Crichton, the guy that wrote Jurassic Park and everything like that, he wrote this book, Congo. Now, I read the book, and it's long and boring and kind of confusing, but he was really gung-ho. One, he actually wrote the book with Sean Connery in mind. He wanted to write an entire story around Sean Connery. So he writes this one character, but Sean Connery (laughs) didn't want to play it. So (laughs) he pitched it to the studios. Uh, I think, wasn't it Fox wanted in? Yeah, Fox wanted in, So, but they first wanted to offer it to Steven Spielberg. Read it, hated it, said no. Then he did John Carpenter, same thing. Read it, hated it, didn't want to. So finally, eventually, they got Frank Marshall, the producer, who only directed four movies in his entire career. They got him to direct it. It went on to, it didn't actually win. It was nominated for seven Golden Raspberries, including... Worst New Star and Worst Supporting Actress for the Amy the Talking Gorilla. (laughs) Worst Supporting Actor for Tim Curry. Worst Original Song by Jerry Goldsmith. Worst Screenplay, Worst Picture, and Worst Director. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post called Amy the Gorilla the most disappointing performance of all time. <laughs> wow, wow. Those wow. poor yeah. <laughs> remote control operators for her face. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they actually <laughs> they had people inside too that were right. somebody uh, hopping around like a gorilla, they're gonna really judge them for that. Come on now. That's what yeah. apparently that's what we love uh, what's his name for? Oh, uh, yeah, Andy Circus. Andy yeah. Circus has made a career out of hopping around like a gorilla. If only he had been around while they were getting ready to film it. Uh, so, But that's the thing. Like you said, so in, in 93, there was no bigger film out there than Jurassic Park, right? Especially for me, being an 11-year-old at the time. Like, that was a big deal. But it, it defined the word blockbuster in a big way for the 90s and it introduced the world to the capabilities of computer graphics on film really even in a much more impactful way than the movie in our last episode tron like everybody saw that and said whoa dinosaurs are alive you know and the other effect of that like you said was it brought michael crichton into the american (laughs) consciousness in a bigger way because he had actually had a major career as an author with novels and film. Even prior to that, he wrote and directed the original Westworld now very big on HBO, but the old Westworld film, that was all him. Also the Gene Simmons, Tom Selleck film runaway. Another big one. Yeah. Yes. And then (laughs) that's a lie. It's a horrible movie, but also like uh, old films, like, the Andromeda Strain or Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery in Rising Sun. So he did get him in one of his movies, based on his novels at least. He didn't direct those. But after Jurassic Park was such a hot commodity, like you said, 
oh, let's make Congo. You know, this guy wrote this other book. We could use it. You know, and instead of killer dinosaurs, it's killer apes. And you're like, well, eh, I, I think in the battle of dinosaurs versus gorillas, dinosaurs always win as far as menacing and impressive on, on the movie screens. But Paramount, who made this film, they really followed that Jurassic Park model. So they thought they were going to have a winner on their hands. I mean, they released action figures. There was a Taco Bell tie-in where you could get collector's watches. It had a pinball machine, a planned Super Nintendo video game that was canceled when the film was not as successful as they thought it was going to be, which actually sounds a lot like the story of The Shadow from just one year earlier, 1994. Uh So if you go back to our episode and hear all about that, so it's kind of like big dreams that didn't quite pan out. Well, and that was one of the reasons that they canceled that video game was because they considered this movie a flop and it did its budget was reportedly $50 million and in the U.S. it grossed $24 million, but internationally it grossed $152 million. So it made back three times its budget. So doesn't that make it actually a success? By today's standards? I think it's critically critically panned, you know. But like you said, uh, Jeremy's brought this up in past episodes. There's a marketing budget that takes a big chunk out of those profits, you know. Well, I think that includes with the 50 million. I don't know. I don't know. But the other part of it, too, is like you said, you got Frank Marshall in there who is like Steven Spielberg's personal piggy bank, right? He's the executive (laughs) producer of films we've covered on this show. So many Indiana Jones, Gremlins, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook, many, many more that people know about. And I assume he thought that being that close to Spielberg, his ability to direct movies would rub off on him, (laughs) you know? But he made, like, Arachnophobia. He did. He made that movie Alive about the soccer team that has to eat each other when they (laughs) crash in the Andes Mountains, you know? So, (laughs) and then... He's also married to Kathleen Kennedy, who produced this film, but people would know her nowadays as the head of the Star Wars empire at Disney, right? So there's a lot of talent there. And, you know, we mentioned the cast before. A lot of those people had done or would go on to do more high-profile things. Did we mention that? Oh, you, you kind of went through some of the list of, of them. Because it is that thing, too, is that I think if you've never seen this movie and you go and you look at it, yeah, it's it's not star-packed, but there's lots of people that you recognize. I mean, even, you know, from Laura Linney to Dylan Walsh and Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, even some of the smaller, like Joe Don Baker, you might recognize yeah. from, like, The Natural. Or, like, uh, what is it? Uh, Bruce Campbell makes a cameo at the beginning. Adewal, I can't pronounce his name, but the guy who played Mr. Echo on Lost, he's in there. Joe Panleone from from uh, 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 The Matrix, he's in there. Like even Jimmy Buffett makes a cameo as a 727 pilot. Like it's, there's a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, I mean they're they're all respected actors, and I think you know the the direction is kind of what fails the film. The film looks very fake, and I mean, granted, a lot of it was shot on a set so they could control lighting and all this stuff in a jungle setting. But it looks like you're you have, you're in a fake plant store, like the one from Night at the Roxbury, and you're <laughs> so hacking. Through with your machete, you know, but the, you know, the other part of it too is Jeff, I mean, 
the cast members, I think our number one favorite character, and probably oh. what most people remember, is Tim Curry as Herkimer it's, Hamalka. It's you know? true. It's hard to narrow it. Well, it's it's that thing, too, that I would say, and it's it's almost that interesting discussion of, like, what is it that actually makes a bad movie so bad? Whereas in this one, like, I was looking over some of the dialogue. The dialogue is horrendous the dot like the, no, the lines themselves great no, they're <laughs> so pathetic now the way that they're delivered like i was reading yeah. some of ernie hudson's lines for me as much as i love tim curry for how horrible he is ernie hudson is sheer genius and like I'm you if you yeah. actually read what he's saying it's like this is trash what is he saying but the way ernie delivers it you're just like you just are so sucked in by like you were saying you know the great white hunter on this trip though i happen to be black just his delivery <laughs> is so perfect and the what was i was just reading on imdb they had the one where it was what was it it was one of his first lines where he said, but one of these little African countries go into revolt, they just tend, tend to murder everybody. So yeah. if you just kind of, you read that line and you're like, this is just bad writing. But again, Ernie delivers it perfectly. Earlier, you said you mentioned uh, Sean Connery, right? Yeah. And that line about I'm a great white hunter today, though I happen to be black, is in reference to the fact you read the book. The character of the book is Charles Monroe, who is a white African. It's and uh, I the that, supposed to be the great white hunter. That's yeah, the so, so they, yeah. For anybody who is a fan of the book, I guess they threw that All in right. there. But it's the only thing I know Ernie Hudson from outside of Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of The Crow, so I guess he was in that uh, too. People, and those are probably his two best roles. I mean, he's you know done plenty of other things, but those are his biggest roles probably. But yeah, uh, uh, enough cannot be said about Tim Curry's performance. Because the one thing I will always say for Tim Curry, Tim Curry never gives you any less than 100%. Like, he is going to 100%. Like, if you go watch Legend, where he plays the devil, he is 100% going for it. It's not like he's going to, like, oh, maybe I'll play the subtle. No, there's no such thing as subtlety <laughs> if Tim Curry is involved. So he's very much Nick Cage as well. Oh, except for Nick Cage <laughs> doesn't even, I don't even think he attempts to do the accents that Tim Curry attempts to do. No, no, he the doesn't. The accent that he does in this is baffling. I, I, there are no words to describe. One, I don't know what he's going for. Was he trying <laughs> to be Russian? Was he trying to be Arabic? Was he, there are, seriously, not even joking, there are times where he stops talking, but his lips are still moving. It's almost like he's trying to dub himself while speaking. <laughs> But you can't take your eyes off of him because it's so he's going for it. He's yeah. I don't care that I look like a fool. Like he's gonna give it a hundred percent. He's entertaining. Herkimer Hermoka, formerly of Romania, now three of the chains of Ceausescu <laughs> traveling the world and doing good. Doing good. <laughs> well, but the other part is too, like you mentioned, Adam, is that Herkimer Herkimer Hamolka nowhere in the books and not only is he nowhere in the books even when you think about it his role doesn't really make any sense why is he in this movie what is his boat i mean i guess his motivation is to the killer apes how did they get him there in the book jeff <laughs> laura linney laura linney is the leader she's the whole yeah. point that's why she comes and she finds the, the the monkey but then tim curry why does he need a monkey because uh, <laughs> the monkey has yeah, secret knowledge that monkeys only have? Get out of here. <laughs> what? 
but you know, his other big steed, I think, and there's probably the most quoted character <laughs> for me is with Delroy Lindo as Captain Wanta, right? They, they get captured at the border. They barely make it out of the airport. He is just chewing the scenery but in a, a way he is just delighted with his power in his character realizing everything that he can do to them you know and he's just taunting him liar liar your pants on fire or so says my computer you know like give they give him you know, the money more <laughs> puts it in a paper bag he's just stapled up don't want nobody peeking oh, yeah. look at that dialogue on paper man it's, it's bolting <laughs> and why that yeah then, then of course you have Mr. Homoka stop eating my sesame cake stop eating my sesame cake oh. Oh, nothing better nothing better but there's also there, there are a lot of little character moments just from very very ancillary characters they're, they're like one scene or less <laughs> the half a scene but i love that guy there's uh you know you mentioned dylan walsh earlier he is as boring as you can imagine <laughs> he's so terrible true. uh is playing dr peter elliott which fun fact based on an actual gorilla expert named peter elliott and he who is a consultant on the film so it's really odd yeah. he just took a great name and put him in there but there's he has his kind of nerdy, nervous, neurotic assistant Richard, and there's this one point where he they're in being detained, you know, by these military police. And he's like, "This is such Kafka. Who is Kafka? Tell me!" <laughs> like this, just this car just gets up in his grill, and it is hilarious. I, I read the Metamorphosis my freshman year in high school, so that was a great mystery finally solved for me when I read that book because I didn't know who Kafka was. It was just a funny word, you know. <laughs> But I think, yeah. Yeah, you know, to your point, Laura Liddy probably is really the hero of the film. She's kind I of the suppose. awesome one. And I love when she stands up to Joe Don Baker. You know, she's like, if I think for one minute, one uh, minute otherwise, I will make you uh, sorry. And then she becomes a criminal. She's going to blow up his satellite at the end. And she's not going to face any sense. That was just well, that's the other part, too, which especially having read the book is the exact opposite. The point of her character in the book is that she doesn't care about anybody except for these diamonds. Like, that's all she's in there for. And instead, like they made her where she was just a love struck girl that wanted to get her fiance back and went across the world and found out he was dead so then took advent took revenge on her his dad uh, i don't uh, i don't know <laughs> this is a film that throws back in, in a way that several other failed films, it's like, I feel like 90s audiences didn't want the throwback to 40s era jungle serials the way that 80s audiences were okay with 30s style action adventure serials like Indiana Jones. For some reason, we had mm. moved beyond that or it was just presented in such a way that it wasn't appealing. But you just feel like other there were a lot of movies that were very similar to this at the time. In another ridiculous way, Anaconda, The Phantom, oh. like oh. all. All these movies that were set in jungles that were like on safari on an adventure and none of them did well and so it's really odd that they you know they kept thinking that's what people wanted and everybody said no 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 <laughs> stop it well, you know well because so i think they kept looking at him they're like well that didn't go like they didn't do that well but if we did this one well 
and they just kept doing them poorer and poorer and poorer. Now, I did find if you do happen to Google search the film Congo, one of the results will be the double dumbass on you.com nerd news, nostalgia, <laughs> and colorful metaphors. And they give you five reasons why Congo is a modern cult classic. Number one, the finale with murderous mutated monkeys killed by Laura Linney and a space laser. <laughs> Number two, there was actually a released Laura Linney action figure. Yes. Number three for you, Adam. Well, actually two would be for you as well. Number three is just quote, stop eating my sesame cake. <laughs> Number four was the cameo of Bruce Campbell. And number five was Ernie Hudson's pseudo-British accent, which he said, quote, I had so much fun with that character, and they allowed me, reluctantly, to do the accent and be the African guide. It was so much fun, it was probably my favorite character. Yeah, I have nothing but fond memories. So, oh, there you go. See, it was good for somebody. Exactly. Me and Ernie Hudson, that's right. And that, I will say, and again, that this is one of those movies why I love Ernie Hudson is because it does look like he's having a ball. It looks like he's having a lot of fun playing this character, and that's worth something. Yeah, and I mean, going back to number four, you know, the cameo by Bruce Campbell, but this is the most boring he's oh, ever oh. been in a role. And yeah. I'm glad that this was not successful. And he did not have a career as a straight leading man because that would rob of, of his iconically hammy acting, right? Sure. There's the Bruce Campbell style. But here they literally were trying to play him as just, you know, oh, here he is, you know, this good looking action guy, you know, even though he's just in it for a few minutes. So I'm glad that was not where his career took him. It's just not what we needed from from this giant of of comedic action <laughs> comedic action that's where he shines but uh jeremy i know you said you needed a little bit of a refresher do you i mean you spent some time in africa as was revealed on our black panther sequel chat any of the plot developments here did you ever hear any word about the secret city of zinge or is there a lot of uh <laughs> corruption did you ever get near the congo no <laughs> 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 Which part of Africa did you go to? Uh, uh, I was in West Africa, so I, I spent a little time in Ghana, big chunk in Ivory Coast, and the rest of it split between Togo and Benin. So if you were to write a sequel, you could write from that experience and just take it out of the Congo and call it not the Congo. <laughs> well, y you may have just spoiled my... Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And now for something completely different. Have you ever wondered what pop culture nerds across the pond think of 80s pro wrestling, MTV, and cult classic films like Big Trouble in Little China? You'll get your fill from the guys over at the Insanely Dangerous Retro Pod Show. Let's take a listen to their hijinks now. Hello, one and all, to the Insanely Dangerous Retro Pod Show. <laughs> Hello, who is this? Let's just start at the kids, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Who would win in a steel cage match between Andy Crane, Andy Peters versus Nilby Cannon and Tommy oh. Boyd? Sounds like a scratchy robot chicken. 12 inch BA Barackers dolls. That you do, didn't really, didn't you really do go like a 12 incher. <sighs> Here we go. Uh, it worked how I think it's going to work. It's going to be 
bang average. Oh, I'm just, I'm just over it now. That's the Insanely Dangerous Retro Pod Show. Find them on Twitter at TIDR Pod Show. And now back to our sequel quest, Rewind. Well, maybe we should just get into it then. All right. Adam, you want to kick us off here? I sure do. So, as we've discussed here, there were some fantastic characters in this. And I decided that I wanted to team up the man who had the most fun making the film and the actress that apparently won the golden raspberry and needs to be brought up <laughs> and respected. So I give you Congo Two: the further adventures of Monroe and Amy. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to take a page out of Jeremy's book here and open with a scene for you guys. So the film opens on Ernie Hudson as Monroe Kelly being chased in a truck by the Ugandan military police. And it becomes clear that Monroe and his assistant Mobuza have stolen a cache of guns and they're on the phone with the buyer telling them that they'll have to take their purchase to go. Evading the Ugandans, Monroe manages to catch up to the buyer on the road where they precariously exchange duffel bags of money for boxes of guns by tossing them between the moving vehicles. Now, during the transaction, Monroe is actually knocked out of the truck and captured by the Ugandans. So Monroe is handcuffed in the back of a truck and interrogated by the gruff General Okiro, who tells Monroe he's getting too old for this line of work and he should trade up for a job with the Ugandan secret police. Okiro mentions that the recent rash of mysterious thefts are starting to be blamed on Monroe, but that they both know who the real culprit is. The general then states, let's face it, Monroe, I'm the only friend you got out here. To which Monroe responds, that's not entirely true. Suddenly, the general's guards are ferociously taken out by a shadowy figure in the night, <laughs> one by one, until Okiro himself is brought face to face with a full-grown female gorilla and passes out for fear of her snarling howls. Monroe then inquires, what took you so long? As Amy gets the handcuffed keys and releases him. The man and his gorilla then return to Monroe's home, where they toast martinis with Mabuza in celebration of their success. We now realize that Monroe and Amy have been working together for years as partners in crime. After Amy was rejected by the other gorillas for trying to teach them a sign language, she was furiously beaten and left for dead by another jealous female gorilla nicknamed Bertha. But luckily, Monroe came upon Amy by accident while leading another expedition and nursed her back to health. The film's story involves the benefactor of that expedition, a man named Marajovsky, who was fascinated by Dr. Elliot's work and sought to live amongst the gorillas himself and not only teach them to talk, but create a utopian society based on his own ideals and the superior strength of gorillas. So after realizing what Amy was, Marajovsky had planned to extract and dissect Amy's brain for research, but Monroe had rescued her and escaped. So the mad Marajovsky became a gorilla dictator, making Bertha his wife and maintaining control by taking a performance-enhancing drug that allowed him to overpower any gorilla that challenged him. Now in control of a guerrilla army, he sends his minions out on raids for supplies and more recently money in order to become a financial power on the continent and seeking to create his own country. The people live in fear, as does Monroe, that someday Marajovsky will come back for Amy. Marajovsky eventually gets bold and makes a raid on the Ugandan capital, deciding to overthrow the government there, putting in danger Monroe's sister Delilah, who it turns out is married to General Okiro. Monroe and Amy infiltrate the capital, battle 
battling gorillas to save Delilah and her husband, but Amy is attacked by Bertha during the melee and held hostage in a lab by Marijovsky. Planning to get Amy back, Monroe learns that the gorillas have developed a taste for alcohol and lures Marijovsky's army away from their posts for a kegger in the jungle. <laughs> While the party rages on, Monroe and his small band are able to infiltrate the compound where they free Amy just before she undergoes brain surgery, then battle their way out against a juiced-up Marijovsky and Bertha. When Marijovsky tries to save Amy from a falling wall of the compound, declaring her to be precious, Bertha gets jealous, and the gorilla gal turns on her beloved and beats him to death as our heroes escape the collapse of the building, which kills Bertha inside. The film ends as Monroe and Amy decide to retire from their life of adventure, revealing that they had a stockpile of diamonds they had excavated from the ruins of Zinge years prior, and they were just gun running and in the expedition guide business for the fun of it. They toast martinis to their upcoming life of luxury as credits roll. Interesting. I didn't <laughs> see that one coming. Right? <laughs> that took hoping. quite a turn. Gorilla wives. Oh, Anybody? Wow. Gorilla wives, the country of gorilla people. I... Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. All right, Jeff, what do you have for us? So now mine's not as fully flushed out as Adam's was. So mine is going to be, again, and which I should, well, I don't know if it's a spoiler at this point, is that so only three people do we actually see survive this. So technically it should be one of the three of them. So mine would be called Monroe, and it's going to take place five years later in an Ethiopian prison. And we find Monroe Kelly with long hair. Usually that's what happens in prison in five years, I guess. So he's got long hair and uh, this man comes to get him out of prison to bail him out and then you know he looks up at Adam and asks him why and he says it's just because because of what you know I'm I'm going back to Zinge and I need you to lead the way and he refuses and like no I'll never go back there I mean that's you know did you see what happened last time my entire crew and blah 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 blah, blah. but then they kind of tease him with this idea that uh, Kaihenga, which was his second in command, they never recovered his body and that he deserves like a proper burial as is the customs of his tribe and blah blah blah. So anyway, so they do decide then they are going to go back to the Congo, back to Zinge, and so they do travel back through there. I would anticipate kind of like yeah, encounters with... I kind of like when they ran into the ghost tribe, but that was kind of weird. So instead, I kind of thought maybe we'd do a little bit like the Warriors, where they you know, had to go through various different tribes. In the Warriors, they were like street gangs. So something along those lines, where there were different tribes with different identities that they kind of have to negotiate and get their way through and survive and run from one and attack, or like fight against another, and et cetera, et cetera. The entire time, uh, Monroe is really struggling with this idea like of kind of his own identity, of the fact that he's this leader. He feels like he can't lead anymore because he's blown it. He, you know, he let everybody die. So he's not quite willing to, you know, take up the mantle as a leader. So this other guy who would be kind of, you know, businessman-y, but maybe not quite a bad guy necessarily, but he kind of ends up having to take the lead, even though he, that's not really... You know, that's Monroe's thing. So anyway, I would see them kind of getting to Zinge. And I don't know if five years later we could somehow figure out a way that Kaihenga could actually be alive and living among killer gorillas. doesn't quite make sense to me. But if I could figure out a way to keep him alive, I think I would. would. Oh, maybe he's living as, no, leader of the 
gorillas seems too weird. But anyway, the whole idea would be that they would then finally get to Zinj. And this time, though, that the leader guy would end up being killed. And so then Monroe would kind of be forced to take the reins. And this time, unlike the last time, he puts his people in front of uh, the mission and in front of getting the, the crystals. So they do end up finding Zinj, but they do end up surviving. And so like, I, I would see actually it might even be like a pretty nice ending if the way that they do survive is that Monroe does actually have to sacrifice himself. And so he gives up his life so that the other people can survive. But he has then kind of reclaimed his his role as the great white hunter, the leader that he's meant to be. Uh, well, fun fact, Jeff, Frank Marshall produced the Warriors. There so you I'm go. sure he See? would be on board with that. <laughs> oh, wow. I just need to understand, though, Jeff, just for purposes of voting yes. later, are you legitimately trying to make a decent film or is this going to be as hokey as the original? But with this, they're trying to portray the serious story, but it's going to come off terribly ridiculous. No, I mean, if it's Ernie Hudson with the main role, I mean, we're going for like, this is, this is, this is some level of gravitas. I'm, I'm thinking like Creed in the jungle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just so you know. All right, just for clarification's sake, did Laura Linney make it out of Congo Alive? Yes. All right, well, that actually plays in because we are making this today. All right, and that's always an issue now. You got to look ahead and be like, who's still alive, who isn't? This involves an email from a Nigerian prince, a lost <laughs> artifact. I love it already. Benjamin Franklin Gates... And Dr. Karen Ross. So there is a an American artifact that has been lost due to a Nigerian prince email and a phishing scheme which gained them access to a highly secured access area and it has been stolen from America and has been taken into the deep Nigerian jungles and so, when anything is lost and an artifact needs to be found, well, we can't call Indiana Jones because he's long dead. So, Benjamin Franklin Gates and his team are called in to team up with none other than Dr. Karen Ross, stepping back from the shadows into the light and taking lead as they head to West Africa. And along this trip, they are going to run into one of the legendary West African uh, mythical beings called the Adze, which are essentially vampires to the people of the Ave tribe in Ghana and Togo. So we're going to deal with vampires, and it's kind of spiraling out of control. And that's kind of as far as I got. I'm sure because it's Congo, we ah. gotta have gorillas <laughs> and vampires. <laughs> yeah. Vampires against gorillas. My goodness, we have so much to work with this episode. <laughs> so much happening. There's the Billy apes we can bring in. Another like ghost ape species in Africa, so we can have all sorts of fun with this because National Treasure isn't going anywhere. Nick Cage needs some work. He'll say yes. <laughs> Tim Curry's dead. Bring in Nick Cage. I get it. I get the I mean, logic. Why, yeah, why not? Wow. 
well, uh, let's get down to business here. There's three of us, three interesting pitches. Jeff, where does your vote fall? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. See, I was both, I was on board with both of you guys. Until, like, I was on board with you, Adam, until you mentioned the guy marrying the gorilla. And I was like, what? And then you lost me. And then I was on board with you, Jeremy, until you mentioned the vampires. And I was like, what? I don't know what to do now. Um, hey, vampires can be trimmed out. We can sure. simplify it. Oh, no, no, it's too late don't now. Don't do that I'm to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> You've gone down that road. <laughs> uh, if Adam keeps his gorilla wives, <laughs> then... Uh, oh. I mean, what one thing is against nature, Jeff, and the other is just supernatural. So I guess you decide how shocking you want this film to be. <laughs> nature. That made it so much worse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, okay. How do I approach this? So now remember, there's no Ernie Hudson in Jeremy's pitch. Oh, there you go. Now you're trying to woo me over to your side. <laughs> he is that still is alive. We can bring him back. <laughs> it's a big selling point. Okay. Now I'm going to go with my own personal preference. If I'm going to consider War of Planet of the Apes versus Twilight, I'm going to go with War of Planet of the Apes. So I'll go with Adam's Gorilla Wives. <laughs> oh, boy. That's how I have to do it. Oh, that sunk me. Okay, Adam. Jeff, I appreciate your confidence in my pitch. However, yours is boring. (laughs) I cannot get on board with a serious take on the life of Moreau Kelly, a redemption story coming back from his dark past. I just just don't think that's where this franchise belongs. And Jeremy's, I love... Just the whole premise of it centering around the phishing scam emails from a Nigerian prince. I feel like it will also do a public service as well as give us an entertaining ride. And the vampires are just the icing on the cake. So, Jeremy, congratulations. You get my vote. So what do we do in in the event of a tie? What are you voting for yourself? No, because you voted for me. Jeff voted for you. And if I vote Jeff, yeah, it's one vote apiece. It Do we is. just we, mu- gotta, we get mash them together somehow? You were really going for Jeff's. I'm <laughs> just I'm just hypothetically <laughs> putting it out there to see what would be the result. It's not an issue. It's not an issue. Because <laughs> I really like my pitch, so this does <laughs> weigh do into too. it. It's hard, but it's it's the rules of the game. But you're right. We would have to mash things up if we have a three-way because that's just that's the way it goes. That's yes, we if we are all tied with one vote, we would, <laughs> we would mash it up. So let's mash it up because that's going to be the most interesting thing here. <laughs> and I would like to throw out one other thing, though, is that Tim Curry is still alive. There was he a is. hoax earlier this year about him being dead. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news. I meant the character, though. Herkimer right. was okay. smashed Fair. to death. He did have gorillas. a stroke. He's in a wheelchair, but he's still alive. All right. So if you say so, Jeremy, how do exactly do we combine uh, <laughs> Creed in the Jungle with uh, Gorilla Wives and Vampires in National Treasure? <laughs> 
Uh, the one thing I do have to say is I think involving Nick Cage and bringing the National Treasure franchise into this might be too much with what we already have going on plot-wise that we're trying to bring together. But then again, we're mashing it all up. So what is the Yeah, plot? that's kind of the heart and soul of his thing. But I guess what I didn't quite understand is so, you know, he's there to find the artifact. So that's why you're saying he's essential yeah. because of that. Yeah, okay. So what if, and I don't know if the problem is the tie-in, could it be more of like a post-credits tie-in sort of a thing? Could a mysterious benefactor be sending them to go get this and then we find out that it's Nick Cage? Would that help, Adam? Mm. Like if we just don't physically have Nicolas Cage in this film? Until like the end, maybe. Yeah. When they return the artifact. But that's that's kind of his whole shtick. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm fine with having him in there. I was just feeling like if if it's good, is it going to be more national treasure film? Is it going to be more a Congo film? And so, well, I it's been, what, 20 plus years and Congo isn't get a sequel. Uh, it doesn't have much screen appeal. Yeah, it might need to. Well, because I, I guess what I would say is, you know, so we have the, you know, the artifacts gone missing. You said there is a communication from a Nigerian prince. So, I mean, did they just find a stupid person that had a an <laughs> artifact and said, we need this artifact returned to our country or there will be civil war? Do you think that would be like the concept? And they're like, oh, we must return this type of thing. That's borderline Ace Ventura there. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, we're, we're going to be grabbing from all over the place here. The other thing is you said, so now he's going to get Karen Ross. Now her specialty is communications. Would it be that she somehow got into investigation and she's been on the trail of this Nigerian prince fishing scam? And that's how she gets Could caught be. up in it all. So she, you know, she, maybe she did go back to the CIA. but Or she's been boots on the ground in the area. Yeah, I mean, it could, and it could be, because I always imagined, because they fly away on a hot air balloon at the end, right? I always imagined they got shot down immediately. <laughs> because their airplane, their airplane got shot down. Every airplane that flew near there got shot down. So, of course, that hot air Pretty balloon point, not going to make it. So, maybe she stayed there the whole time and then just got in touch with the CIA. And they said, you know what? Stay there. We could use you. To kind of bring mine in... What if we do that? So the problem that Karen or whoever needs to solve, or maybe it's the thing is that there's this artifact or whatever that Benjamin Gates needs to go get. And so he needs to assemble a team and then he needs to get Karen Ross for some reason. And she says, we can't go down there unless we get Monroe Kelly. And then that's where you bring in him. But he's like a shattered shell of a man or something like that. Potentially. Well, yeah, I mean, I, they, we could go that route. So he's he's in jail. And they have to get him out and they expect him to be able to deliver and help. But he just can't. And at the same time, I think it, it might also be funny that he's literally just gotten into jail after many times in jail. He just as they're trying to pay his bail. He gets 
busted out by Amy and they find out, you know, Laura Liddy's like, what? Like, oh yes, you didn't know our old friend and I have been working together, you know, type of thing where they, they think they're this big savior for him. Or maybe it was an act that he's a shattered shell of a person, but it's not, you know, his actual. That, uh, I actually, I thought about that. That wouldn't be too bad because if you should, like you find out that he's actually wearing a wig or something like that, and it's the long hair. <laughs> And because he's in disguise or something. Yeah, well, maybe, he, maybe he was getting information. Maybe he was in the prison all that time because he wanted to find the artifact as well. Maybe he knows it's super valuable. So he's got the intel that they need that can help, you know, like, yeah. you know, got yeah. you got. Gates has some information that he's pieced together. Laura Liddy has the information on whoever the current holder of the artifact is. And then Monroe also, he's like, well, I, I can get us to the guy who extracted it first, which is now the question I, I have is, would you be comfortable making my crazy gorilla marrying benefactor guy, Verzhovsky, the guy who is the actual mastermind who stole it because that artifact actually has the mystical ability to merge man and ape. And that is where he's going to create his super wow. society. <laughs> wow, Adam. <laughs> I was wondering, because I was going to say, like, this is all well and good, but the reality is we got to figure out how to get vampires and gorilla wives in there. Well, and that's, and that's what I like is that that's his goal. And he, maybe he got the wrong artifact first and then he's he's turned his people into vampire people. And then now they're going to be vampire gorilla people. Rather than being quite that out there, what if it's just the idea that like the first half of the movie or whatever is them trying to get like they're assembling the team, they're getting the pieces, whatever. They get back to... Are they going to Zinge? Wherever they're going. And they run into more of these gorillas, but they find out that this time the gorillas are being controlled by this guy. And so then that's the, like, and maybe we could even, what if we went instead of, like, science and marrying them and whatever, if it was more of kind of like a tribal witch doctor sort of a thing like that? Well, it certainly could be. I mean, it could be mystical or if you just go back to maybe he studied what those trainers, because the apes were trained, right? Right. So what if he just learned all that process? So he goes in and he literally, you know, now we're assuming that they all died in the lava that was going through the caves at the end. But yeah. we know. They survived. There were some yeah, stragglers. Well, that remember, because then Amy ended up with the crazy gorilla, the non-crazy gorillas. Right. Well, they weren't in the caves. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, so what if then? Now to get back to your gorilla wives. So what if then whoever it is that is read about how to control them and and lead them and whatever. What if there's a part of it that he actually believes that they are the superior life form on Earth? Yeah. And so that's why that he wants to, yeah, like conquer, take over, whatever. Maybe yeah, he he's thinks definitely of himself been, as a gorilla. Yeah, he's been spurned by mankind. He thinks that we're on a, a you know, a course for destruction. So he thinks mankind is going to be destroyed anytime. So he yeah. says, yes, you know, we must learn the way of the gorilla and we must, you know, <laughs> bring ourselves into the society yeah. of the gorilla by any means necessary. And he, it's got to be weird and he's yeah. got to take it too far. And everybody's <laughs> going to know about that. It's going to be like, oh, you know, again, getting back well, to your Ace Ventura comment, Jeremy. Like, there's your yeah. 
There's your poster right there, learning the way of a gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> so now, then the next question would be, Jeremy, now bring us vampires. I, it, okay, so the the mystery around these quote-unquote vampires are that they take the form of like a firefly, and thus if you capture one, it reverts to its human appearance. In its human appearance, the Adze will attack and will eat your organs, but it can be defeated. While in insect form, though, they are tough to defeat. Well, well, that's that's the climax of the film right there is that somebody <laughs> on the team is connected to them and can, you know, do an incantation, whatever they have to do to call them out. So they help them defeat the gorilla society, you know, so that they, they they get, you know, a few of them get captured, that they revert to their human form and attack as well. What if we do it the other way around? What if they have to team up with the gorillas because the gorillas are the secret because they eat bugs or something like that? We have to get back to yeah. gorilla wives. Who, who are the gorillas are, allied with? Yeah, who do we... Are they well, they're allied. It's, it's, so they show up to Zinj or wherever, and there's the crazy guy with all of his gorilla brood and then and you know believing that gorillas are the superior life form or whatever and then the real conflict is that these insect vampires are picking them off one by one and so then like maybe both gorilla and man so then they have to team up somehow but you like the gorillas beat the they're the big bads so that then the vampires would team up against the big bads hmm because in the last movie the gorillas were against the humans because the humans were there to collect the diamonds. Right. And it was their job to protect the diamonds. Hmm. So one could say they were just doing their jobs. So they weren't really bad. True. Even though they looked pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Terrible. Um, so, <laughs> so what if their sides align due to, as Adam was saying, having a scientist who is kind of integrated in with the gorillas in an, in his weird attempt to get gorilla wives and <laughs> produce weird offspring, then it's through him. And when the vampires arrive, the gorillas protect the humans because of this guy. And the whole time he's kind of been on the outs with the rest of the group. Like nobody wants to join up with him, but he's the one who comes in, brings the cavalry, something weird like that. Yeah. What if it's, because I was initially picturing that they would show up and there's that guy who's been living there. I don't know. Would it be too weird if when they get to Africa, he like joins their – he's one of the people that join their team. And then when they get down there, all of a sudden they're like – he reveals that he was in control the whole time or something like that. Is that too big of a – No, there's a way to there's a way to set that up. Yeah. And does that work or is that – would it work better for them just to show up and there's the bad guy? Well, but that's that's the question then. So is he's not the bad guys now we're saying that he would just be I almost feel like he's like the new Herkimer Homolka. Like he's got a crazy plan and he's right. a goofy, weird guy and he is bringing them in because he probably wants to guide them. He's like he's going to be like basically join my gorilla cult is what he's saying. He's like, we're marrying gorillas. It's great. You know, he's trying to convince everybody. And so that's the weird side thing. They're like, Good. you told us 
us you could get us to this artifact. You told us you could, you know, and, but then that's when things go crazy and then it just so happens. He's like, oh, yeah, well, we have all these diamonds that my gorilla society collected. And then that's maybe the bad guy with the artifact or the vampire people that he's got on his side maybe come in for that battle. And, you know, they're also after the diamonds and all that. And could we say the artifact controls the vampires then? Maybe instead? And then that way, like you said, the gorillas team up with the humans because they have a connection to the humans. And then there's that big battle at the end and everybody gets their artifact back. I guess because the artifact has to have a, a greater purpose, right? Then, you know, they have to want to retrieve it for right. a reason. Right. I just don't, I would just, I don't know. I kind of feel like the conclusion with all of this going on, you got to have a pretty epic conclusion. Yeah. So I wouldn't want it to be just like we found the artifact and poof, we turn it on and they're all gone. Like there, there, it, it needs to be. I don't know if that's what you're, I don't think that's what you're suggesting, but it needs to be some form of a struggle. I yeah. Guess. Well, it has to be something about the way it's activated then, because there has to be like a big back and forth. I feel like the good guys get the artifact for a while, and then the bad guy gets it back because like the good guys don't know how to use it, so they're still being attacked anyway, or whatever it is. And then and it's it's Gates probably who knows how to make it work. So he's like he's like, buy me some time, give me some time, guys, come on. Or he's trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe they end up getting it in their possession and on their way out they're having issues because they, they just thought it was a trinket an artifact nothing supernatural with it right. but that's when they're attacked and they lose it and the bad guy kind of gives some monologue about you don't even know how to use this maybe they access some cave or something with it some great treasure is teased and that's when Gates has to start thinking through, okay, what were the inscriptions on it? How could this be used? And he's trying to think through historical scenarios so that he can find out why this would have any importance. And that way, once they get it back in their possession in the big battle, he can have that moment of give me a few minutes, like, let me figure this out. And that's when he is able to unlock its secrets. And also just we haven't mentioned it heavily, but I'm assuming Amy again, she is very much a part of this story. And she's got some sick ninja gorilla moves that she busts out during these battles or something, because I, I feel like she needs a story as well we're on board with her having teamed up with monroe all this time right so did monroe kind of train up like his own militia of gorillas no just her like special ops and that that could be that maybe he thought he was the only one who had a gorilla sidekick and now he sees this guy that has this whole army of them Ah. and so maybe there's some sort of you know interesting dynamic between them as well where but you know and maybe more so it's the the gorilla, you know, Merzhovsky guy, I guess we could still call him the gorilla lover, is uh, thinking he's like Monroe. And he's like, yeah, we should totally team up. It would be great. And, you know, and I see you've got your gorilla wife. She's not my wife. You know, like that type of weird banter back and forth between them all the time, you know. <laughs> and, and that can kind of be the struggle to them. And maybe, and I feel like that guy does eventually have to die, though. Like he dies, and that maybe could also set off the gorilla army where they 
they just go crazy, you know, and they have to rein it back in. But fighting the vampires. The, the other question I have, Jeremy, is they said they take firefly form and they transform into humans. But are they less powerful as humans, you said? They're just hard to kill. When they're well, fireflies. they'd be easier to kill, I guess. Yeah, they're bigger and whatever. Yeah. But I, I feel like maybe there needs to be some way that they because like it's the vampire part we haven't addressed if they're vampires what do they do when they attack somebody it's just they they have to convert somebody on the team i'm assuming laura linney or somebody Mm. you know has to or does Amy become a gorilla vampire? That's the one. Oh, I oh man! And they have to save her. Like maybe that artifact could purify her at the end. Potentially, because from from what my research showed, uh, the victims of the Adze become a witch who is possessed by the Adze spirit. Mm. So the whole time leading up to the big reveal of the vampires we're seeing fireflies and then people are getting sick or one by one they're slowly acting a little weird kind of kind of lead and tease it along definitely yeah you want to plant those seeds and have them in there and then you know obviously yeah so we just say by the end everybody's defeated i'm i'm just trying to think of the way like what is the jeff you said they eat the fireflies i don't know if that one's gonna work, work right. well <laughs> gorillas <laughs> jumping around grabbing fireflies and shoving them in their mouth i mean it'd be entertaining but man, <laughs> the video game it'd be like an app on your phone that the congo <laughs> to firefly snatcher it, it'd kind of be like whack-a-mole the yeah. The gorillas jumping and smashing them in their hands. and I feel like ultimately we just yeah figure out how you get rid of the vampire. Does it need to be related to the artifact? Because it seems like if nothing else, maybe the artifact was stolen by the bad guy who is controlling the vampires. Because basically wants to take out the piece of the game that can purify people and remove the vampirism from them then that would make more sense you know so it's not that he got it to have more power he got it to keep the power he already has so there's not a way to to turn around success that he's having thus far whatever that is i guess with this phishing scam again i don't know where that (laughs) i think it just has to be that opening kind of joke almost that there's somebody that works in a museum who has the artifact they get the email they're like oh no and then he calls them or skypes them or whatever it is, you know, where they get the sob story that it has to be returned. Maybe. Well, so now the question becomes then, because I, I think that's a pretty solid story overall. Lots of ups and downs, lots of twists, <laughs> gorilla marriage, vampires. It's yeah. everything you want out of <laughs> your blockbuster. But at this point, I don't know that Frank Marshall's coming back to direct. But I, I was thinking, like, do we need a so bad it's good director, or do we want somebody who would consciously inject some humor? Or you know, which way do we want to take it? Because I'm like, do we go Yui Bowl, who's like the worst of the worst directors, but he takes all these kind of genre and video game things and just put him in there it's like you know what take it wherever you want to take it <laughs> and, and just accept that or do we get somebody with a little more nuance it's comedy but i don't know if we go full comedy i like the i like the blend idea where you get a little bit of everything i, I was actually trying to think now i wonder who directed that return of xander cage triple x you know sequel. Uh, <laughs> like somebody along uh, those lines you know that's like you know what i could do it i can give you something cool but i could also know that this is not high quality filmmaking here well it was enough to get a fourth 
triple X oh, movie announced. Yep. I heard about that. Yeah. DJ Caruso. I like, see, he's got a great name. You're hired, DJ. <laughs> oh, he's the guy that did I Am Number Four and Disturbia. Okay. Oh, wow. The Disappointment Room. Disappointments Room. I, I mean, Josh Trank is still available. Oh, I know, you're always Josh <laughs> and he always will be. <laughs> oh, he's a pick of time. Hey, and he's supposed to direct G.I. Joe 3. Good for him. <laughs> Guess that's good for him. Now, the question we have, basically, I just see really two roles we need to cast because the other are returning. So who is our weirdo in the jungle? <laughs> now, he lives there with the monkeys. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely, you know, he like you know, obviously he meets up with this group. So he I think he ventures out and he's always tried to get people to join him in his new society, but really nobody's on board. He probably has a collection of a couple weirdos, you know, that that were in on it. Well, Gary Busey is out. Gosh. <laughs> Wouldn't he, be bad he, though. He'd be too far, I think. <laughs> I don't think he could play it serious enough. <laughs> Willem Dafoe probably wouldn't even go near this. Gosh, and he would also, that'd be frightening how far he Well, you know who, so, who's been mentioned before is Walton ooh. Hawkins, and I think he could uh, give you a He would be great, but I don't know if he'd play the the weirdo in the woods. You want him to be the bad guy and put on like... Uh, an African accent of some sort. So he's do the that South guy. African accent. Sure. What yeah. do? I mean, it's pretty weird. Now the other thought that, well, and this would be maybe more creepy than we wanted to go, but uh, what's his name? Doug Hutchins, Hutchison from the green mile. Who's the creepy guy in green mile. And I don't know what else he's done. I am Sam. He's a very creepy fellow. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think we want creepy for that guy. We want ridiculous. We think again. Think Tim Curry. This is the replacement. Right. Well, I Wilson Goggins. Ooh, no, that's too far. I was gonna say Christopher Walken, but then that's that's. The <laughs> oh boy, yeah, no. I Steve Buscemi. Hmm. He'd be a weirdo in the woods. Well, he's a weirdo no matter what. Right. At the same time. He's a little uh, too likable, I think. I feel yeah. like Walton Goggins would be a solid. He's a solid thing for just about anything you pick, I think. But it's the only other thing I could think is if you were going to cast somebody against type and get him in there to, you know, really right. play up the comedy, but like a, like an older established actor yeah. who now is willing to take a turn, you know. So what, you know, I think uh, I don't think Anthony Hopkins is the right person oh, for that. But, you know, uh, Crispin Glover. Like, oh, wow. oh, if you could do it, if you could do it, that would <laughs> no. be amazing. Weirdo in the woods. Shia LaBeouf. Oh, that's just weird. He did swing with the monkeys and Crystal Skull. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> no, swinger, just, baby. Uh, now, my first thought, although this would be. Although, you know he could do it, would be uh, Sam Rockwell. Ooh. Which now he's got an Oscar, though. I know. Yeah, he wouldn't go near this. The same thing if we're going to say, like, Gary Oldman. You know, you know these character actors could do it. Well, I mean, the guy who's been playing those roles, 
very recently, you know, he's he's taken a step down from the Matrix and uh, Boys in the Hood and his more respectable roles. Lawrence Fishburne's been playing the weirdos in the woods for a while, like in, in the Predators movie. There was just another one that came out recently, uh, too. I don't know. Like the, the shell-shocked oh, kind of wacky recluse. John Malkovich? Ooh, well, he and he did that in red for two movies. Is, is Randy Quaid still in prison? <laughs> I don't know. They might. Maybe they just make this. You know, kind of. Uh, maybe this is his reintroduction, like Iron Man was for Robert Downey Jr. Oh, Randy Quaid back in the game with Congo too. Mm-hmm. But actually, go yeah, going back to to your other pitch, I don't, I don't know. Like Chris McGlover would be great, but again, I think he might be too weird. Well, then the other one. Possible. Which you, you almost can never go wrong with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> you just throw Jeff Goldblum out in the woods, and you don't need a rest of a movie. You just put him up on the screen and let uh, him go is, to work. This is my wife. This is Bertha. We have Bertha say hi. She's wonderful. Makes a, a banana cream pie you, you adore. It's wonderful. And uh, yeah, gorillas, so gorillas, gorillas. That they're just, just they're, they're just they're just superior. They're <laughs> Oh, Jeff Goldblum, yes. Okay. He was in that Cats and Dogs movie. He'll be in this movie. I learned a thing or two from the, uh, a past life, like dinosaurs and crazy things, and I was in space, and it was some strange 60s drug trip I was on, but I began to realize gorillas were the key. <laughs> All right, Jeff Goldblum's in. Now, All right, that's settled. But main bad guy, I, I was, again, maybe that's for Lawrence Fishburne, but I was trying to think, like, is there's a lot of, like, African actors that I feel like we could actually, because you know, it would be great if, it, if it's not like, you know, a, a white South African who are always the villains, you know? Let mm-hmm. it just be a strong, you know, African actor, like, literally, like, African, not African-American. Because I feel like we have a lot of those actors nowadays that you, you well, come you across. Pretty cinema. much pull up uh, Black Panther and you can well, go right, through there. Say, just like <laughs> pick from their cast list there. <laughs> so wait, this is to be the bad guy vampire? The guy leading the vampires. Yeah, the guy oh, who okay. is the one who stole the artifact. You know, So the guy who's the mastermind of it all. So you want someone who's pretty together and pretty suave. I, I was trying to think age-wise. I don't know. The guy who was coming to mind for me was he played the son of Forrest Whitaker in The Butler. And what was the other movie he was in? Um, David Oyelowo. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was Martin Luther King and Selma. That's right. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think he'd be really good again because he's just this would be that out of character film. He can be pretty intense, I think. Yeah. But I mean, he was in, he's in A Wrinkle in Time. He was in the Cloverfield Paradox. So he's kind oh, of going he? that direction, I feel like. Oh, he's even he did a voice on Star Wars Rebels. So he's not, you know, he's not above doing kind of more fantasy or <laughs> sci-fi based stuff out there. there you he, go. he was in Rise of Planet of the Apes. So oh, and Interstellar for that matter. That's where I was recognizing him from. But yeah, so I think if we get those two in the mix, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With Laura Linney, Ernie Hudson, and uh Nicolas Cage. 
Yes. What a cast. What a cast. Uh, Cargo to the film you didn't know you want. We're bringing it to you. <laughs> you got vampires. You got gorilla wives. Uh, even if it's direct to video or direct to Netflix, it'll be infamous. Infamous, I tell you. <laughs> Another Laura Linney action figure. Come on, people. <laughs> we'll have memes for days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So good. Well, I'm pretty excited about this. This is this this is like Encino Man to me, where I feel like this went a total different direction than we were expecting, <laughs> and it is delightful. Too many laughs, so much entertainment. So, if you haven't, go give Congo another watch. Remind yourself what the '90s were all about. <laughs> Some questionable action adventures in the jungle, and does it need to be redeemed? Let it be redeemed in its craziness. DJ Caruso will show us the way. And with that, stay tuned, everybody, because we got a whole host of more episodes coming back. Uh, we're going to be doing a Field of Dreams sequel coming up for all you sports fans. So past uh, a guest host of ours, Eric, will be back from the Mighty Ducks episode. We have quite a few things on the docket, so stay tuned. Plus, it's a busy year for movies, so we will be in theaters bringing you some sequel chats. And uh, hey... You got a movie in mind? Send it our way. We're ready to hear about it on social media. Hit us up at, at SQPod. If you like the email, find us there as well. SecretQuestPod at gmail.com. But until next time, we are watching you. Who's Kafka? Tell me! That was actually really fun. A return to form for us, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the show is supposed to be. Ridiculous. <laughs> Mission accomplished. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network. <laughs>